Matthew chapter 28, you can grab uh, your Bible, open to the last chapter of the first gospel, Matthew chapter 28, or you can grab the pew Bible there in front of you and out of that pew rack and just open to page 1150, you'll find Matthew 28. We're going to look at uh, Matthew's account of the resurrection story this morning as uh, the Bible is filled with accounts of the glorious resurrection and the empty tomb. And every Easter, uh, it, it never gets old. It's always, uh, I, I, it's the one Sunday of the year. I always know what my topic is, but there's so many texts to choose from because the Scripture is replete with eyewitnesses' accounts and uh, the recorded events of that glorious first Easter. And so this morning we'll look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 28. Will you begin reading with me? We're going to begin in verse 1. Matthew 28. The scripture says in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold... I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and they held him by his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, God. Thank you for preserving these accounts, Lord. Thank you that we can know for sure that, God, you are, in fact, risen from the dead. You're alive today and reigning at the right hand of the Father. And we thank you and praise you for that. And, God, this morning we pray that now as we look into your word, we, we are humble, acknowledging that this is your word, that you, the God of the universe, spoke this word into existence. You've entrusted it to us, Lord. And God, we, we are grateful this morning. We pray now you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to receive that we might be able to know and understand, see clearly today in a way that we couldn't when we entered into this time. We'll give you all the, all the credit, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I heard about an elderly couple. Uh, his name was Bill and her name was Blanche. And Bill and Blanche loved to go every year to the state fair. And every year they'd go to the state fair, uh, Bill would see this helicopter ride at the state fair. And he would always say to Blanche, he'd say, Blanche, I really want to ride that helicopter. And Blanche would say, well, Bill, it's $50 to ride that helicopter. And 50 bucks is 50 bucks. 
See, Blanche was kind of a frugal woman, and Bill would just oblige her, and then the next year they'd go to the fair, and he'd see that helicopter, and he'd say, I really want to ride on that helicopter, and she'd say, but 50 bucks is 50 bucks. And so that went on for a number of years, and then one particular year, they go to the state fair, and Bill said, Blanche, now I'm 75 years old, I don't know how many more of these fairs I'm going to be able to come to. I really want to ride that helicopter. And Blanche said, well, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. And the pilot of the helicopter overheard their conversation. So he walked over and said, excuse me, folks, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I I heard what you were talking about, and I think I might have a solution to your dilemma. I'd be willing to take you up in the helicopter, but under very specific conditions. First of all, you sit in the back and you don't say a word. If you say one word, as soon as the helicopter lands, you're going to owe me $50. Do we have a deal? Bill said, finally, we have a deal. So they load in the helicopter. Well, the pilot takes off, and as soon as the helicopter gets up in flight, he starts whipping that thing to the left and whipping it to the right. He starts turning it sideways this way and turning it sideways that way and trying to do every kind of aerodynamic trick he can possibly do. And meanwhile, they're sitting in the back and all this is going on. And so finally, at the end of the ride, they land the helicopter. And the pilot says to Bill, he said, Sir, I got to tell you, I, I can't believe you survived that without saying a single word so the ride is on me and Bill said well I gotta admit to you I almost said something when Blanche fell out of the helicopter (laughs) but 50 bucks is 50 bucks If you're our guest, we just finished four weeks of marriage series, see, so I couldn't really tell that when I was preaching on marriage, so I figured I'd wait till afterwards and uh, throw it in there. See, that's a, that's a story that, you know, it started out good and ended up bad. Now, we're going to talk about the resurrection. It's a story that starts out kind of bad, but ends up really, really good. You see... Good Friday, as Jesus hangs on the cross and is crucified, it's a dark day. It's a dark day for the followers of Jesus. They're they're watching their Lord and Savior perish on the cross. They're uh, confused. They don't know what the future holds. They're trying to sort all this out. They're thinking, how could this great Jesus, who was able to do all these miracles and do so many things that we've seen Him do, how could this be that He would die on a cross, and, you know, it's 2,000 years ago, but when we read the Scripture, it's as if it was happening today. Of course, then it was in the city of Jerusalem, in the land of Israel, and it was Jesus of Nazareth who hung on that cross. He was nailed to that cross by Roman soldiers. He suffered that horrible death at the hands of people who he came to save, people he loved, who were made in his own image. And then he died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. 
But three days later, he physically, miraculously, and gloriously rose from the dead. And today, we celebrate Easter because we serve a risen Savior. And that is a great blessing. And anytime we gather together as a church family, we know that as we're here to worship God, as we uh, always do together, that God always brings folks into our fold. He brings people along the, 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 the journey of life just like He brought us. And so we're very aware that every time we're together, uh, there may be those among us who are here because maybe you're curious. Maybe you, you, know, you don't even pretend to profess Christ as Savior. You're just curious about church or life circumstances has put you in a place where you've started thinking a little bit about God and eternity. Maybe you're here this morning because you were invited by a friend, and we're always grateful when we see faces uh, that we haven't seen before and that somebody among us has in, invited them, and that's a, a blessing, or maybe it's a coworker, and And then there's always, you know, the, the face as I'm up here looking out that I always recognize because it was my face 25 years ago. I wasn't here because I was curious. I wasn't here because I'd been invited by a friend. I was here because I'd been coerced by my wife. And I was there to oblige her, if you will, and to just sort of see what had been going on in her life. And so if you're here this morning and you're sitting there thinking, man, I'm just here because... I was coerced by my wife. Well, you may be the next pastor 25 years from now, so <laughs> buckle in, fella. Amen. But whatever the reason is that you're here, we're, we just, we're glad you're here. And I want you to know that we've been praying for you, and we've been praying for this day. And uh, we pray that before we all leave here today, that we know that God is glad that you're here also. And that you know that the hope that can only be found in Jesus is revealed to you through Him in a very real and powerful way. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's Easter. And you, if you've been out and about, as I'm sure many of you have, just, you know, getting your Easter preparations ready or however you do that in your family, you know, you see all this Easter stuff going on. And the crazy thing about Easter is, is that when you read the statistics, for example, some research just came out that says 85% of Americans intend to celebrate Easter this year, but the same research shows that only 46% of Americans even know what the true meaning of Easter is. So we have a lot of people that are running around excited to celebrate Easter, but they really don't even know what Easter's about. I remember growing up, I never knew that Easter had anything to do with Jesus or the resurrection. I thought it was just bunnies and eggs and candy. I didn't know. And uh, my goodness, there's a lot of that going around. Uh, last year, on candy alone, uh, Americans spent over $15 billion, with a B, dollars on candy. And uh, I'm not going to say that I haven't participated in any of that. I do have a, a, a little bit of a fancy for uh, these Easter uh, sweet tart jelly beans. If you haven't had those, they're amazing, by the way. They're not your regular jelly bean. They're like jelly bean extraordinaire, and uh, they're fantastic. 
And you can only get the big bag at Easter. See, the rest of the year, you only get this little tiny bag with just a little teaser. But at Easter, you, can, you get the picture, right? So I uh, always love the, the... Somebody sits around and calculates the fact that if you put all the jelly beans end to end that Americans buy at Easter, it would wrap around the earth, earth three times. I'm thinking, that guy is bored. Man. <laughs> So I hope you got a listening guide when you came in, and uh, you can fill in the blanks. So your, your first blank, we're going to talk about what is the meaning of Easter. What? Your first blank is what, and in a word, it is resurrection. So what is the meaning? What, in a word, resurrection? And we know, as I've already said, that the story of Easter is preserved for us in the pages of Scripture by eyewitnesses who were there, who saw the empty tomb, who saw the resurrected Christ. I remember when I first started coming to church, it kind of bothered me that the church would use the Bible to substantiate the Bible. You know, I mean, I, I was, felt like I was a relatively knowledgeable person, and I just thought to myself, well, I'm not sure that's, uh, you know, allowable. And then I began to uh, find out for myself that in reality, when it comes to, in particular, the resurrection and Jesus and the empty tomb, uh, we have more than 39 extra-biblical sources from the first and second centuries recording these events. They describe the ministry, the miracles, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are people like Josephus, you may have heard of him, or Justin Martyr, or Ignatius of Antioch, or Ignatius, or Clement of Alexandria, to name a few. These are people from Roman backgrounds, some from Jewish backgrounds, some from, uh, that are Greek historians. But nonetheless, we have these recorded documents, and the resurrection of Christ is one of the most documented events in all of human history. But really, the best way to know about the resurrection and what happened at the first Easter is to turn to the Bible, because the Bible is where we find the words recorded by actual eyewitnesses, people who saw these events. And so, the Scripture documented over 500 witnesses that saw the risen Lord. We have all these personal accounts throughout Scripture, the Gospel writers. For example, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, Jesus was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay, but God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter saw that with his own eyes. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I perceived, I have passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and then was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living at the recording of this, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also. And so... What is the meaning of Easter in a word? It's resurrection. But really the bigger question is why? Why would God send His Son to die on a cross? Why? Why Easter? And in a word, love. The reason for Easter is love. And when you start to think about the, the, the reality that Jesus Christ 
died and was buried and God raised him from the dead, you start thinking to yourself, well, well why, why are we going through all of this? Well, in a word, it is love. The scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. As I said and as I prayed in my opening prayer that we had a sin problem. We have a big problem. Our biggest problem of all is our sin problem. And every person has sinned. All of us. The scripture says that no one is good. Only God alone. The Bible says that this sin separates us from God. And so we find ourselves in a circumstance or a situation where we're unable to remedy our condition. That we are separated from God by things that we've already committed that we can't go back and uncommit. It's already done. And this is why the idea that good people go to heaven could never be true. It could never be true because who is good? So we need to clarify that good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Heaven's not for good people. It's for forgiven people. Because everybody's sinned and everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us know in our heart that we've done things that we ought not have to do. And when we did them, we somehow intuitively knew. We, we somehow know that lying is wrong. We know that stealing is wrong or cheating is wrong. And we know that because God's written His law upon our heart. So what we need is we need a second chance. And so God, in His love, He sends His Son to give us that very chance, that solution to our sin problem, which is forgiveness. It's a problem that we can't, we can't solve it ourselves because what would we do? Well, would, we, would we set out on an endeavor to begin this journey of trying to accomplish so many good works that it would, it, would, uh, it would undo our past? No matter how many good things we did today, it still doesn't undo what's already been done. There's still sin there. Even if a person tried to go back and to apologize to all the people that they've wronged or say they're sorry or try to right all the wrongs, you still can't undo the fact that those things have been done. And the problem with any of this thinking at all is, is that it sort of goes under the, 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 the thinking that, well, we're going to fix sin that we've committed against someone else, but really sin ultimately has been committed against God. And so how are we going to fix this? Well, we can't. We need somebody who can, and the only person who can would have to live a perfect life, which we can't do, but somebody's got to do that. And if they can live a perfect life, then they could die in our place and forgive our sin because they would have a worthy sacrifice to take the place, our place on the cross. But then even in that, this one would have to show himself to actually be worthy to do that. In order to do that, you'd have to rise from the dead. You'd have to defeat sin and defeat death. Hence, Jesus. God sends His Son to solve this problem, to show us how much He loves us. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection. So when we look at these scriptures in Matthew chapter 28, for example, notice with me in verse 5. The scripture says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was 
crucified. He was crucified, but he's not here, for he's risen as he said. Now, he's been telling everyone that he's going to be crucified and that he's going to rise from the dead, but nobody could really get their head around that. Nobody really could understand that he actually literally meant exactly what he said. But Jesus brings clarification to this whole resurrection issue when he says things like, for example, in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I, Jesus is saying, can give you new life. I can resolve this sin problem that is in your life. I can bring forgiveness into your life so that you can now live and have life and life more abundantly the way you were originally created to live. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I have resurrected. That's not what he said. He says, I am the resurrection. There's a big difference between I have resurrected and I am the resurrection. You see, he's not saying, here's something that I've accomplished. I have resurrected. I've done this. He's bringing all of us into it. He's saying, it's not about what I have done. It's about what I have done, and now you are part of it. That I am the resurrection, that I can be your resurrection. That it is him saying, I'm the God of second chances. I'm the God of new beginnings. I'm the God who can bring life where there was once death. So when the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see this new beginning, this second chance. Old things have passed away. All the hurt, the shame, the sin, the, the sorrow is gone. Behold, all things have become new. You see, we don't have to wonder. We, we know that we can dress up and look good and, and, and get our kids dressed up and come to church on Easter Sunday and, 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 and just really just want to enjoy ourselves and have a, a great family day together. But the reality is, is that there's hurting among us. I mean, not everything's well today. And there are many of you in this room who are, are facing very difficult seasons and challenges in your life and and at the very same time that that reality is is taking place some of the very same people there are people in this room that right now are facing great challenges maybe even the greatest challenge that you've ever faced in your life and at the very same time you are illustrating, you're a living example of what a resurrected life looks like. You're, you, you, you're, there's examples of resurrected marriages in this room and resurrected families in this room. There's tons of examples of resurrected hope and, and resurrected purpose in this room. At the very same time, some of, those, some of the hurting and the suffering, it collides with resurrected lives and in that there's still resurrection amen there's still glory for God and in being being uh, part of the resurrection allowing God's resurrection to become your resurrection doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away but what it means is that his power is going to become uh, part of you and that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll walk with you through. God's not a God who saves us from trouble. God's a God who saves us through trouble. He saves us through. That's what he does. And so we can be so grateful for that. Now, when, you, when I was reading these verses in Matthew 28, did you notice there's some, there's some interesting details 
in this passage. For example, oftentimes I hear people talking about the resurrection, and in doing so, they, they say Jesus rolled away the stone. But he, in fact, didn't roll away the stone. Did, did you see what it said? Look at verse 1. It was after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. Uh, it began to dawn. And then Mary Magdalene, the other Mary. Aren't you glad you're not just the other Mary? Like she, That's a bummer. You know, you got Mary Magdalene and then that, uh, that lady over there. I mean, anyway. So they come to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and then just sat on it. Like, I love the Scripture. Just sat down. Like, whoo, that was a big stone. I'm just going to chill out here for a second. Or I'm just going to sit here and uh, watch what happens next. Right? And so the angel rolls the stone away and then just sits down on the stone. Now, wonder why that happened. In other words... Doesn't it seem a little strange that God incarnate, who has all the power and all authority has been given to him, he's got enough uh, power in his little pinky finger to flick that stone out of the way like an like a Easter M&M if he wants to. But instead, he doesn't. He allows an angel to come and do that. Well, why? Well, first of all, understand this. No one took Jesus' life. You got that? Nobody took his life. He freely gave it. The Scripture tells us in John 10, Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, Jesus said, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. See, Jesus has all the power and authority. But he doesn't roll the stone away. So why doesn't he? Why doesn't he say, I've got the power and the authority. Now it's time to move the stone. Watch this. You know, why, I mean, if, if I was God thinking of this story, I would have said, now at the exact time, Jesus shot lightning out of his fingertips and blew the stone into a bazillion pieces. That would be cool. But that's not what happened. Why did an angel roll, roll the stone away? Well, first of all, had Jesus rolled the stone away, it would have been, uh, it would have looked like a jailbreak. You see, it would have looked like Jesus was getting out of jail. In other words, he was breaking himself out. If he would have moved the stone, it would have been a, jail, a jailbreak. Why? Because guilty people break themselves out of jail, right? Innocent people, how do they get out of jail? How do they get out of captivity? They're let out, right? They don't get themselves out. So the fact that the angel moved the stone signifies that Jesus had fully paid the debt of sin. He had, he had served this sentence that was intended in dying for the sins of the world. That was accomplished. So that angel rolling the stone away is just another way of signifying that the work that he came to do was completed. There was no jailbreak on that first Easter. No. That prison door was open and Jesus was 
ushered out, allowed to come out, set free because he had fully paid our sin debt. That's why the angel did that. But that's not the only reason. There's another reason that the angel moved the stone. And I think it's equally as misunderstood a lot of times. And we see it in this passage. It, it wasn't to let Jesus out of the tomb. You understand that? The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out of the tomb. The angels moved the stone to let, not to let Jesus out, but to invite us in. It's to invite us in. Look, look at what the, the Scripture says. Look at verse 5 again. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But he's not here, for he's risen, as he said. And then what? Come see the place where the Lord lay. The stone is rolled away. Jesus could have left the, could have got out of the tomb with, without moving the stone. He didn't need the stone moved. The stone is moved not to let him out, but to invite us in. The invitation is, this is where Jesus was. The stones rolled away. Now you come in and see. Come see. It's for me and you to be able to come in. That's the invitation of Easter. To come and see what the Lord has done. To see that He's not there. To see that the, the tomb is empty. You know, it, it's not that in so many, uh, in so many areas of life, here's, here's, what, here's what religion would say. See if you can do enough good deeds. See if you can, see if you can uh, honor your parents, uh, students. See if you can make the grades. See if you can do the right thing. See if you can be a good enough citizen. See if you can serve the poor. See if you can give of yourself. See if you can do enough good things in your life that the stone will roll away, and then maybe you'll get an opportunity to see that it's an empty tomb. But that's not what happens in this story. What happens in this story is that everything that needs to be accomplished is accomplished for us. Everything. Everything that needs to be done is done. Every single detail that needs to be accomplished, everything that needs to be... Uh, every, every single nuance that would lead to our freedom is accomplished for us by God. See, religion says if you can do enough good things, if you can live up to a good enough standard, then you can come in and you can see what God has done. But that's not what Christianity is. No, no. See, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship and the relationship starts with an invitation. That's what Christianity is. You see, a, a religion would tell you that, well, you're not good enough, which we're not, so you've got to start doing things to make yourself better. And if you meet the grade, then you'll be able to come in and see what God's done. But Christianity comes along and says, okay, you're not good enough. In fact, nobody's good enough. But God says, I'm going to do everything for you. 
I'm going to send my son. My son's going to live the perfect life. He's going to die a terrible death. He's going to be buried in a tomb. The tomb, the stone's going to be rolled away. And all, the, all that's going to be done for you. And all you have to do is respond to the invitation to come in and see what God has done. Now, that's, that separates Christianity from every other belief system that's ever been on the face of the earth. Jesus accomplished everything to reconnect us with God. He did all of that for us. The angels rolled the stone away. And all we have to do is walk in and see. That's it. Why didn't Jesus... Raised from the dead. Why, why, why didn't he raise up publicly? Why do you think Jesus... I mean, here's this story happening as the sun's just beginning to dawn. Daylight's beginning to break. Now, he's already gone. He's already gone when, when the, the, the two ladies get there. He, he's, he's, he's gone. Well, why did he do that? Wouldn't it have been better if Jesus would have rose from the dead like as a public spectacle when there was giant crowds around in the middle of broad daylight so everybody could have seen that? Wouldn't that have been better? Wouldn't it, well, I mean, wonder why God did that. Why was there a secret resurrection, if you will? In other words, our invitation wasn't we didn't get a ticket in the mail you know, that said, hey, you've been invited to come and see Jesus raised from the dead. You didn't, you didn't get a, a ticket to come see the resurrection. Nobody did. The invitation's to come to see the empty tomb. Now, now, why? A lot of people ask me that question. And there's a really important reason behind it because it tells you about God. You see, here's what a secret resurrection does. It places all of us at the same level. Do you understand? Now, I want you to follow with me for a second. Everyone has to take this invitation to come and see on the basis of faith. Everyone's invited to come see. Not all will come see, but those who do come see have to come see by faith. Now, if you had seen the resurrection happen with your own eyes, it wouldn't take any faith to respond to the invitation, now would it? And so those who had seen the resurrection with their own eyes wouldn't need faith to respond, so therefore they would be able to respond without faith, which would violate the whole principle and premise of the whole thing, that some people would get uh, a special privilege and others wouldn't. No, no, this, this is the great equalizer. The reason the resurrection took place secretly and not publicly is so that everyone had the same invitation to come in and see the empty tomb. Because see, God, God is very intentional in the, the way that He does, th does things. So you think about this. So Mary 
has to respond in faith to what the angels say, right? She, she shows up. She's not, she didn't show up to see an empty tomb. She showed up not really sure what she was going to see. She responds to, to, the, to, to, to faith. She trusts in what the angels say. Then she takes off. And where does she go? She goes and tells the disciples. And the disciples have to trust what Mary says, right? Yes. And then we, by faith, trust what the disciples say. And on and on and on it goes. In other words, there's, there's an, always an element of faith that God is calling us to see. Now listen. He, he Make no mistake about it. He died in my place. He died in your place. He did everything necessary to offer you and me freedom from our sin and to invite us to have a relationship with Him. He accomplished all that. It is the ultimate message of grace that He did everything necessary to resolve the problem. You're not required to do anything except to respond to the invitation. That's it. Complete and utter grace. Just walk in, see the tomb is empty, and respond by faith. Now, I'm always, again, when I talk about this, I'm again perplexed by the conversation that usually follows this when I'm having this conversation with somebody, which is, so what you're saying is that I'm to blindly follow Jesus. To which I say, oh no. That is the furthest thing from what I'm saying. Because first of all, you'd have to, you'd have to know my story. You'd have to know that, that when I was coerced to come to church in the beginning, I set out on my own personal journey to prove the whole fairy tale wrong. My beginnings... Uh, as a, a, a reader of the Scripture, was solely for the purpose to take it all in, understand it, and then explain to my wife how this couldn't be true and it's just some fairy tale that people have been believing. Well, you see how I did on that. But the point that I'm making here is that God invites you. He welcomes you in. The whole reason that the angel says... Come in and see. What, why didn't the angel just leave the stone there and go, well, he gone. Why is the stone rolled away? Come and see. God's not afraid of our questions. He's not. Listen, he's saying to you this morning, he's saying, you come on with any question you've got. You, you, you dig in. You investigate. You start reading. You start studying. You start. Go ahead. It's all there. Listen, this can't be a fluke. And by the way, as you're doing that, I would encourage you to study all the other religions of the world. And what's fascinating about that is, is that every other world religion has a provision in it for Jesus. They have to deal with Jesus somehow. So he's either a good prophet or he's Satan's uh, half-brother or everyone's got some way of dealing with Jesus. But interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't have anything to say about Muhammad, anything to say about Buddha, anything to say about... You know why? Because they're not real. 
But, it, but in order to create a religion, you have to deal with Jesus. You know why? Because you can't deny that he was because there's too much evidence. So there, you know, it's, believe me, this isn't blind faith. The stone is rolled away and the invitation is, come see because he ain't there. He's not there. And it's just as empty as empty could be. He used a borrowed tomb because he only needed it for a very short time. Amen. I, I remember that uh, my father-in-law was a real character, I'm telling you. And, and uh, he, he, he was the only person that I ever knew that actually enjoyed telemarketers. I mean, he loved it when they'd call him. Because he saw that as an opportunity to, you know, just uh, kind of a combination of uh, have fun and do evangelism maybe at the same time. And I'll never forget one day I was sitting in the living room with him and his, his phone rang and he answered his phone. And it didn't take me long to figure out that the person on the other end of the line was trying to sell him a, a, a cemetery plot. And so he says to them, he says, well, now they get through their whole spiel. And he says, well, I'm very interested. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about. And I, you know, I need this. And, uh, Boy, you could hear that, you know, young lady on the other end getting excited like she's about to make a sale. And he said, now, but here's the thing. I just want to rent it. And it was silence on the other end of the phone. And then the voice said, excuse me? And he said, I, I just need to rent it. And she said, well, sir, what do you mean? Don't, you, you know, you, you're going to need a place to be buried. He said, no. I just need a spot so my family can come and celebrate my life. He said, I don't need it for long. And the lady was just sort of perplexed. And then he goes into this whole thing about, you know, he's a follower of Jesus and so on and so forth. But the point I'm making is, is that Jesus didn't need a tomb for long. I mean, permanently, he just needed a barred one because three days later, it was empty again. Now, if you think about it, Religion died on Friday, and grace was made available to the world on Sunday. You see, that's what happened when the tomb was opened up and exposed to be empty. That all the, all the religion, all, the, all the, 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 the just endless human effort of trying to make yourself good enough and clean up your act and fix your behavior and reform yourself. I mean, I, I know undoubtedly, if you're here this morning and, and you are in this rut where you have been trying and trying and trying to to, you know, fix your behavior, straighten out your life, and you, no matter how hard you try, you just continually fail. Well, welcome to the club. That's all of us were at one time in that club. You're never going to fix anything in your own power. It's God's power that fixes things, that changes things. It's God's power that transforms us into this new creation. Religion died on Friday on that cross, and grace, grace was made available to the world on Sunday. Easter is a day of grace. It's a day to celebrate God did everything on our behalf. Every need that we had, He met. 
And he invited us to come in and he invited us to partake of all the grace, all the blessing, all the forgiveness of everything that he's done through his son Jesus. What a blessing. That's the miracle. See, the, the, it's a, the resurrection is a miracle. But it's a miracle that keeps going. It's a miracle that every day since that day, the resurrection keeps going. And the people every day since have invited the resurrection power of Jesus into their life and then experienced resurrection. And over and over, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people gather in every corner of the globe, in every remote place, in every dialect, tongue, tribe, nation, race, all over the globe celebrating the resurrection this morning and all of them at some time across the span of their lives invited the resurrection power of Jesus into their life. They accepted the invitation to come and see the empty tomb. Now that didn't just happen. On accident. That didn't just happen by some fluke. But listen, try as you may, make no mistake about it, you can't do it on your own. Lord knows I tried. Let's suppose this morning that during the time I've been up here talking, you start to think about your life and you're thinking this morning about. Well, maybe, maybe I do need to make some changes in my life. And things aren't right. And maybe this Jesus is real. And then you think to yourself, well, nah. Maybe, maybe next Easter I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, I'll be a little older. I'll be a little wiser. It'll give me a little bit more time to straighten some things out in my life because... You see, internally, we're all secret, you know, we're secretly bound to religion. So we think that we can just straighten some things out and it'll be better if we, if we just wait. Well, well here's, the, here's the problem. The problem is that you're making an assumption that faith is something that you can just turn on and off. It's just a, a switch that you can just flip. That you decide, you know, I'm going to have faith today. Or I'm not going to have faith today. Or I'm not today, but I'm going to tomorrow. Is that how faith works? Are, are you in control of faith? Are you the one that determines faith? The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 44, that no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now that sounds to me like that God first comes to you and offers you an invitation. That you can't respond to an invitation that you haven't received. But when you receive an invitation, you then have the free will to respond to it. See, the Bible would indicate that when you feel that feeling, you know, tugging at your heart, I still remember that feeling. I remember that uneasiness of, you know, what's going on? Am I having a heart attack here? Or, you know, why are my palms sweaty? Or this is just weird. What's, I remember that feeling. And what's happening there? And and if you've been there, then you already know that. Guess what you already know? You can't just turn that off, can you? Because let me tell you something. Did I try? I just gripped onto that pew in front of me. 
and squeezed and said, I'm not moving. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm holding on. Nothing can move me. Nothing. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Let's go down front. We're going on down. <laughs> See, we, we think that we're, that we're flipping this switch, but when God brings an invitation, there's something going on inside of you, and, and you know that, and you can't deny that. Scripture says that God's knocking at the door, and while He's knocking, you need to get up and open the door. In Isaiah chapter 55, the the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. See, if a person falls ill, if you were to get very ill, but you refuse to admit that you're sick, you're going to die. You see, it's only the person who admits their need and then goes to the doctor and gets the help that they receive that gets healed. Faith is impossible on our own. Listen, you can't fix it on your own. You need help. You need to be invited and respond to the invitation. And so here we all are today. And there's a, a multitude of things going on around us. There's a multitude of things going on inside of you that even the people right around you aren't even aware of. But here's what I know. I know because I've been there. And not only have I been there, but I've been there with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you. I know for sure that God is here and the invitation is real. I know that. God's here and the invitation's real. Now listen to me. God's not hiding Himself from you. God's not playing hide and seek. God's not trying to be mysterious and elusive with you. Let's, let's just look at our text for a second. Look at, look at verse 7 and following. Let's just see how elusive God is being. The angel says, Go quickly and tell the disciples that He is risen from the dead, and indeed He's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see Him. Behold, I've told you this. So they went quickly. So they're on their way with fear and great joy, running to tell the disciples. And as they go, they don't even get to where they're going. Jesus can't even wait for them to get there. He's like, you know what? I can't stand it. I'm going to get right up here in front of them. And he doesn't even wait for them to get there. And the Bible says he what? He reveals himself to them. And he says, rejoice. And they're like, what is happening? Here he is. So they came and held him by his feet. And they worshiped him. And then Jesus says again, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, to go to Galilee and they'll see me. Does that sound like somebody who's trying to hide? That sounds to me like if ever there was someone who's trying to be found, that's Jesus. He wants you to find him. He's saying, here's the invitation. I'm not hiding. I'm right here. I want you to know me. I want you to see me. And one last thing that I think bears mentioning this morning, because it may... It may be especially for you this morning. Who is this first invitation given to? Who is it that this angel is talking to when the angel says, Come on in and see? Is it a coincidence that we find Mary Magdalene of all people? Here, receiving this first invitation to come and see. 
that the, 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 the message carrier of all people is going to be Mary Magdalene? You know, the Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 8 that she had a very difficult and even demonic past. That she's a, a woman of the city. She's described as a sinner. In other words, the angel's not giving this invitation to the king or to some royalty. The angel's not giving this invitation to the most spiritual person who's ever lived, the most astute, studied, theologically knowledgeable person. No. No, no. This first invitation is given to one of the most ordinary people that you'll ever find in the world. She's a lady who was a lot like some of us and grew up far from God and did a lot of things that she probably shouldn't have done and really wish she hadn't. But she met Jesus. And let me tell you something. Jesus didn't reform her. He transformed her. And she becomes one of the most faithful, devoted followers of Christ in the entire Bible. This, this lady who nobody would have ever paid any attention to, Jesus loved her. He loved her. And she loved him. And she, by faith, responded to this invitation to come into the tomb and see that it's empty. And now today, for all of eternity, her name is sealed in this story as one of the people that the angel first spoke to. Now, what does that tell us about the God who we serve? You see, I'm concerned that maybe you came in here this morning and you feel like you're just too far away. You feel like there's just been too much water under the bridge. It's just too much. Too much pain. Too much sorrow. Too much failure. And so that voice in your head, you know what it does? It tries to seal you in a tomb, doesn't it? The tomb of regret or the tomb of uh, shame or the tomb of your past. And it wants to seal you in there and lock you in there and say, well, you know what? Because of all these things, you just have to stay in there. And there's no way out. Well, you see, the invitation is to come into an empty tomb. It's an open tomb. It's a tomb of grace. It's a tomb of freedom. It's a tomb of resurrection. And then when you come in and see, the great news is you get to walk out and you get to live. You get to live as the son or daughter of the God Most High. The invitation is you as no, no, zero effort on your own. God did it all for you. The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. It was to invite us in. And he's saying to you this morning, come in. Come see. Come to me. I want a relationship with you. I know everything about you. And I still love you. I still love you. And you know what? When you realize that, when you begin to grab hold of that. And listen, it's not, it's not just today. Let me tell you what happens in here every week. 
Every week of the year, 52 Sunday mornings a year, we gather in this place. And you know what happens? People who have already received that invitation, already are walking in resurrection power, still, still, we, we still, we come and we kneel at this altar and we say, God, I know that I belong to you and I'm so grateful that you've saved me and transformed me and made me new. But Lord, life's getting hard. It's getting tough. And I just need to come up here and kneel down before you. And I just need to just remind myself of as much as I needed you then, I need you now. And thank you that it's not about me trying to hold on to you, but it's you that will never let go of me. Because there's still days where, where I'm weak. You see, and I need to be reminded that it was grace that brought me to this relationship in the first place. And it's grace that's going to keep me here. So I don't know your story. But I know who does. And I know he's here. And I know that the invitation is real. So the tomb's empty. You come and see. What are you going to do today? Let's stand. We're going to bow our heads as we do. And we're just going to pray.